Okay, let's open our Bibles, Matthew chapter 10, pick it up where we left off. I want to read to you, uh, <clears throat> somebody put this together, um, it's kind of a, I'm not sure what you'd call it, but it's a, it's a different telling of the, um, when Philip the evangelist in the book of Acts you remember was called to go up to the Ethiopian eunuch. You know, some of you know that story. But it's kind of like from, from the emergent church perspective, postmodern perspective, okay? So you got to listen carefully to kind of get what some of the problems are with this whole thing. And this, they call him Philippe, the postmodern evangelist. Once there was a man named Philippe. He was a spiritual guide in an emerging community. One day he decided to go on a journey, so he did. And as he was walking along the road, focusing on the journey and not on the destination, he found himself alongside the chariot of an African official. The man in the chariot was reading from a parchment scroll. He was reading aloud, so Philippe was able to overhear what the man read. This is what he read. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so... He did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. And who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Philippe caught up to the chariot and said, You read that text beautifully. It made me feel significant and connected to ancient traditions to hear you read it. I just wish I could understand it, the man replied. Understand it? Philippe said, you don't need to understand it just to experience it. Read it again, more slowly this time. I want to hear the poetic forms and imagine myself in the context of the ancient tradition. But the man said, who is he talking about? Is the prophet writing about himself or about someone else? I think he's writing about all of us, said Philippe. I think we are all part of the larger story. But what story, asked the official. It seems to me the writer is talking about something in particular, and I sense this is important. I just wish I knew what it was. What does this mean exactly? Philippe asked, what do you think it means? I don't know. That's why I'm asking you. And he says, well, it, it is true that I'm a Christ follower, and my tradition does impose certain meanings on this text. But I wouldn't, would, would not want to force my truth claims on you. Your truth claims would be equally valid. As you see, we're both on a journey. And we both find ourselves on the same road, so it follows that our destination is also the same. So let's just enjoy this time of community and not divide ourselves by discussing meanings and dogma. After a while, they came to a pool of water by the side of the road. There was also a fork in the road at this point, and the official chose to, the road to the right, and Philippe planned to take the road to the left, but first he sat down by the edge of the pool to journal his experiences of the day. And he was delighted that he had found this unique opportunity to engage in a dialogue with a person of a culture so diverse from his own. Meanwhile, the African official went on his way, still searching for the meaning of the text that could have brought him eternal life. Isn't that something? You say, well, what does that got to do with anything? That's what is happening in the church today, this emerging thing. They're leaving behind the, the true meaning of the Scripture for some kind of feel-good, experiential kind of uh, uh, 
understandings and whatever the relativistic kind of understanding, well, what's good for you is good, what's good for me is also good, and we're all kind of in this together, so let's just, well, what about the truth of the gospel, that Jesus Christ came and died upon a cross for you and for me? And unless we surrender our hearts and lives completely and totally to him, we are lost. I don't want to say those kinds of words to people. I might offend them. Well, that is what Jesus said. Interesting. Keep our eyes and our ears open. A little bit of review for for Matthew chapter 9. Last week we talked about having faith. Having faith in Jesus Christ, the one who has authority over nature, over demons, over sin, over sickness, over all things, including death, this last enemy, the last enemy that Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 15. People, they came to Jesus. We saw, we looked at these different people. They would come to Jesus knowing that he was their only hope. And what were they called to do was, was to have faith and to trust in him. Jesus said to the one man, when things didn't appear to be going just right, he said to him these words, don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid, just believe. And and I can hear those words in my own mind and, and heart in the things of this life. Don't be afraid, just believe. There is this battle between fear and faith that you and I go through on a daily, weekly basis. Don't be afraid, just believe. Trust him no matter what others say. Trust him no matter what the circumstances might dictate. Trust him no matter how you feel about. And that's another one. You you know, I feel a certain way. Well, trust him no matter how you feel. We walk by faith, not by sight or not by feelings. Jesus said to those blind men, he says, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. And he said to them, According to your faith will it be done to you. Augustine, the Christian leader back in the 4th century, said, Faith is to believe what we do not see, and the reward of this faith is to see what we believe. You believe, and then you see. You don't see, and then, well, if I, only if I see, like Thomas. Unless I see, I will not believe, he said. But I love what Peter says. You, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, You believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Verse 35, we'll pick it up where we left off there. It says that Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Now, that sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it, that verse? Because we looked at, we saw that back in chapter 4 and verse 23, this idea of the threefold ministry of Jesus. Five chapters later, he's still at it. He's still doing what God had sent him to the earth to do. He's still, uh, you know, being consistent and being persistent and fulfilling the call that God put on him. And and so many times that's what you and I need to to do. And we're looking today at the example of Jesus in a lot of different areas. But the first one I see is this, that, that he was persistent, he was consistent in doing what God called him to do. When the times got difficult, he didn't say, you know what, I'm, I, you know, I need to take a break. I, you know, 
give me a couple of years off, uh, Father, maybe I can, you know, it was difficult for him, but, but he said, not my will, but yours be done. Even when it got to the point of the cross and, and considering the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, the, the cross and all that lay ahead of him, he was persistent to do what God called him to do. You and I each have a call in our lives. Are we consistent? Are we persistent? Are we still at it five years later, five chapters later, five decades later? To keep doing day after day, week after week, what God has called us to do. And, and that doesn't just mean some kind of full-time ministry. That means all the different areas of life that God has called us to be faithful in, to be you know, honest, true people that follow after Jesus Christ. We saw in the last verse that he was attacked and they you know, accused him of being in, in uh, concert with Satan. But it didn't matter that he was attacked. He just kept on doing what he was called to do, teaching and preaching and healing. We talked back in chapter 4 that we need all three of those. We need them today just like they needed them then. Just like they needed him in chapter 4, he was still doing the same thing in chapter 5, and we still need the same things today. We need, we need to be taught. We need the, the challenge of preaching. We need to be healed in, in all the different areas of our lives, our body, soul, and our spirit. We need to keep these things in balance. We can't just have teaching, get all head knowledge, just have preaching, get all stirred up and running around, just have healing and, and not understanding anything. All these things need to be in balance. The teaching part, we saw that, that it, it builds our understanding. It builds the foundations of our faith. In fact, it was, it was, uh, we found 271 occurrences of the teaching part. It was way more than the other occurrences of the preaching and the, the healing. There's this need to be taught. We need to be taught. We need to learn. Now, some of us, we don't like school very much. But... Too bad. We got to stay in school. We got to keep learning. When we stop learning, we stop growing. We end up being stuck in a rut. There's this time for teaching, and that's why we have Bible studies. That's where you can go to a home Bible study, women's study, uh, discipleship group, where we're always, our, our focus is that we need to get into God's Word. We need to get into God's Word. What does it say? Understand what does it mean? Explanation, all based on God's truth and His Word. The preaching part of it was only uh, 122 occurrences, and, and it's this idea of proclamation, of heralding, of, of challenging people, of calling people to commitment. Now, you, again, you can't call people to commitment if they don't understand what it is they're committing themselves to. But the truth is that happens, Right? Come forward right now and be committed and commit yourself. And people come forward. They get up there and they go, well, uh, I really don't know what I'm being committed to. But uh, it feels good. God has called us to use you know, our minds as well as our hearts and our bodies as well. All three of these, body, soul, and spirit, working together, we need to understand. But we also need to be challenged. And we also need to make decisions we don't just hear stuff and go, well, that's really nice. I like that truth. <laughs> but we, meet, we need to make decisions and we need to decide when, when God's word says, will you or will you not? You need to say yes or no. And when we don't make decisions, guess what decision that is? It's no. 
When we put it off, I'll put it off, put it off. In other words, you're saying no, 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 no. The third thing about healing is 145 occurrences of that and this idea of bringing wholeness. The healing of all different kinds, our body, our soul, and our spirit. We are sick. We are sick. I'm not afraid to admit it. We are sick. As a race, as the human race, we are sick, and we need to be healed by God. There's just no question about it. We are messed up, and we need the touch of God to heal us in all different ways, in all different areas. Of course, the truth is, and I, and I remember talking about this, is that the ultimate healing is heaven. Ultimately, the healing, the, the final healing is heaven for you and for me. And unless our spirits are born again and, and washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, we're not going to go to heaven. So that's one of the things we need to be challenged about. We need to be taught that Jesus Christ came as, as the eunuch was reading there and reading out of Isaiah chapter 53 that Jesus came he was it was promised it was prophesied ahead that he would come that he would that he would give his life for our sins and that that all who trust him all who trust in the Lord would receive eternal life have you trusted him have I, I would be remiss in, in what God has called me to do if I did not ask you again and again and you say, why does he keep asking that every week? Because there might be someone here who has not done it, who has not said yes to Jesus Christ. I am lost. I am hurting. I am broken. I need a Savior. Unless, unless we make that decision, we are going to remain in that condition. Any one of us can do this. Any one of us. And I hope and pray that each one here would make that decision for Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus did. We look at this verse again here. And notice this. He went through all the towns and villages. He, he taught and he preached and he healed. He went. First thing, first thing is, is this example, this model that he gives to us as, as his followers. He went. He didn't just stay home. Well, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to stay in Jerusalem, or I'm going to stay in Galilee, and, you know, everybody can come to me. But no, he went out. He went out. He, he went. That little word in the, that you find throughout the Bible, go, go. We're not called just to stay. We're called to go. That doesn't mean necessarily every single one of us is going to go out to some far-flung place on the globe, but we can all participate in it. We can all help those ones that will go. And that's what we do. The second thing, you notice this, he went through all the towns and villages. He had, a, he had a call to go to all. He went and he taught, he preached, and he healed. We talked about that. But the big question I want to move to the next verse is, is why did he do that? Verse 36, it says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed, and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. They were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Why did he go? Because he cared for people. This, this whole picture we see here of verse 35 and then 36 is, a, is, what, is what's called the Great Commission that he has given to the church. The Great Commission, he's called this church. He's called the church as a whole to go into all the world 
It says in Mark chapter 16, go into all the world and preach what? The good, excuse me, the good news to all creation. Why don't you turn with me to Matthew chapter 28? I want to look at that. This is another verse that is included in what we call the Great Commission. And at the very end of the book there in verses uh, 18 through 20, it says, Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You see it there? Therefore, go. Make disciples, baptize, teach. He didn't send them out, though, on his own. He said, surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. We have a commission. The church has a commission to go. We can't just keep it all for ourselves. Go to all, teaching, preaching, healing, and caring. This word in verse 36 here, back in Matthew chapter 9, says that he had compassion on them. And and I think one of the reasons that Jesus came to the earth, why he came and took a a human body, human form. God the Son came from heaven to be incarnated. The incarnation we call it, where he took the form of a human was so that he could understand and feel what we feel. It says here that he had compassion. And this word compassion means that he, it, it means suffering with. The word calm is like with passion, suffering. A suffering with. It says he, he saw them, he saw the crowds, and he, he could feel to the very depths of his being that he could feel his compassion to suffer with them. This is what you see about Jesus, and it comes out over and over and over again, is that he cared. He cared deeply. He cared very, very deeply about people, people like you and like me. He cared. He cared about those he saw, those that were around him. Again, it's not only the fact that you and I need to understand that he cares about us, but the example that he gives us, that that he cared about people around him. For you and I not to see the people around us and care about them. He looked and he saw them around and he, he suffered with them. He had compassion for them. He cared about them. He saw that they were harassed, they were helpless. And he cared for them. I love the parable of the uh, prodigal son. And getting back to the idea that the father cares for you and for me. And this idea is when, when, the, when the prodigal son decided to come back, he find, it says he came to himself, he realized that, that he needed to come back home to the father. And it says he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, and he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. That's the kind of compassion the Father has for you and I when he sees us coming to him. Jesus saw the people. They were harassed. They were helpless. And you don't have to look around very 
very far in this world today to see that nothing has really changed. The, the humanistic idea that, you know, if we just keep at it, we're going to get better. If we just keep working at it and, and figuring things out, we are going to make the world a better place. Is it working? Uh, it doesn't appear to be working in, in just, just a brief looking around at the situation. We're more messed up now, I think, than we were before. We've got more things to be messed up about. We keep, you know, making new things and, and having all these discoveries, but we seem to be more, you know, twisted up and harassed than, than we ever were before. This idea of weary, uh, harassed, uh, uh, is translated different ways, weary, troubled, bewildered, dejected, worn out. How many of you feel like that today? This idea of helpless means to be thrown to the ground, unable to rescue ourselves. That's the state of the human race. Harassed and helpless. Jesus went on, he says there, they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now, sheep, you all know this, sheep are not the most intelligent of creatures. And when they don't have some guidance, they don't have you know, a shepherd there or a, sh or a sheep dog to kind of work the, the flock and to keep it where it needs to be, they get themselves in some pretty bad situations. Jesus said, you know, he looked around, he saw the people, they were just lost, they were wandering, they had no shepherd, they had no one to, to, to show them the way, to lead them to the pastures where the food would be, to where the water would be. In the book of Zechariah, it says this, that the idols speak deceit and the diviners see visions that lie. They tell dreams that are false and they give comfort in vain. Therefore, the people wander like sheep oppressed for lack of a shepherd. There's a lot of deception. There's a lot of lies in our world today. And, and it's no wonder we're wandering. There's so much, there's so much nonsense and garbage And, and God said this, he said, My anger burns against the shepherds, and I will punish the leaders. For the Lord Almighty will care for his flock, the house of Judah, will make them like a proud horse in battle. He saw that they had leaders, but they weren't doing what they were supposed to do. And, and, and is it any different when we think about what I was talking earlier about, you know, different factions of the church that are, that are not, you know, leading, they're not taking people back to God's word and the truths of God's word and, 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 and the Lord is upset. I want you to turn with me to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 34. We're going to look at some verses there. The whole chapter really deals with this idea of, of uh, people that need a shepherd. Ezekiel, chapter 34, but we're, we're not going to look at the whole chapter. It's very long. But look at verse 2, Ezekiel chapter 34. It says, Son of man, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? They had shepherds, they had leaders, but they were only looking out for themselves. 
That can happen today too. Look at verse 4. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured, the harassed and the helpless. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally, so they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. Jump down to verse 10. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I'm against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths. It will no longer be food for them. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he's with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. Jump down to verse 15. It says, I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost, bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured, strengthen the weak. But the sleek and strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. You can read the whole chapter, but we, we can see in this chapter just what we've read so far is that, number one, God has a heart for his sheep. That's what we saw back in Matthew. God has a heart. Jesus had a heart for people. They were like sheep without a shepherd. But there were leaders that were called that, that were not fulfilling the responsibility in the, in the big picture of, of the church, God has called people to be leaders, to be what some call under-shepherds, under-shepherds. But there is one shepherd. Jesus said he was the good shepherd. Ultimately, an under-shepherd's job is not to bring people to themselves. An under-shepherd's job is not to, you know, take, you know, glory or finances or anything to himself to be, you know, lift himself up. But an under-shepherd is called to point to the true shepherd, the good shepherd. That's the main, main job of the shepherd, of the under-shepherd. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Psalm 32, we all know that. The Lord is my shepherd. I will not want. I want you to turn with me before we leave that thought to 1 Peter chapter 5. James, Peter, John, Jude, Revelation, near the end of the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 5. You need to know. The leaders need to know what are the responsibilities of elders. In this term, elder and overseer, we use the term overseers more often than elders, but they're interchangeable. But look in verse 1. You need to know, we need to know, we all need to know, there's no secrets. Verse 1, to the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. He said to those leaders, to those elders, he said, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Look at 
And notice this in verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Notice the chief shepherd. The others are called to shepherd the flock, but, but, but not for themselves, but for the chief shepherd. Jesus cares about people. He cares about you and he cares about me. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 9. In a parallel account in Mark, it says that Jesus had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So it says, so he began teaching them many things. The sheep need to be taught. The sheep need to be fed. You think about in the Gospel of John where, where uh, when Peter <clears throat> had denied the Lord three times, and then, and then Jesus, after his resurrection and everything, he's with Peter, right? And what does he tell Peter to do? Feed my sheep. Take care of my lambs. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Take care of those people. Feed them. Look at verse 37. Let's... Look at the last two verses here in chapter 9. It says, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. He said to his disciples. Of course, you look at the context, and who is he talking about? What kind of harvest is he talking about? He's talking about people. Talking about sheep. Those people you looked around and says, you know, look at all these people. Look at, look at the pain, the suffering, the, the lost condition that they are in. Look at that, he says to his disciples. There's the harvest, he says, it's all around. But the workers are few. You know, Jesus limited himself. He limited himself to being in one place at one time while he was here on the earth. But this the Great Commission, this here as well, is that when, when, when he left, he, he passed it along and he would send out his disciples. He would send out others. And the church is called to go out and, and to bring this message of hope and eternal life to all people. He says there's a big harvest out there, but not many working in it. Why not? Why are the workers few, I ask the question. Is there a reason for that? Did he only call a few? Are we just too busy? Are we, are we just not really in tune? Are we just really don't see around us? I think that's one of the biggest problems. I know it is for me. I just don't, don't see. I'm not, I'm not aware. I'm not paying attention to you know, what's going on around me. I'm more locked into just what I am thinking about, what I want, what I need, what I need to do. But what about the people all around us that are hurting? Can we take time out from our agenda and say, hey, there's somebody who's hurting there, somebody who's, who is harassed and helpless, who needs to know that Jesus is the good shepherd. When should we do that? Seems to me here that there's a kind of an urgency, the harvest. There's a certain time, someone said, that, that crops go through like three stages, when they're green and when they're ripe and when they're rotten. And harvest time is obviously, you know, just right at the time when they're becoming ripe. You can't pick them too soon. You need to be the right time. But Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, they're, that they were already at the time of harvest. 
Somebody pointed out the words of Shakespeare, and I don't quote Shakespeare very often. You know that. But I thought this was really cool. Out of the, uh, out of the, the play Julius Caesar, when Brutus is trying to enlist Cassius uh, in his aid, and let me read these words. He says, There is a tide in the affairs of men, which, taken at the flood, leads on to fortune. Omitted, all the voyages of their life is bound in shallows and in miseries. On such a full sea are we now afloat, and we must take the current when it serves or lose our ventures. I wish I could write like that. That would be awesome. (laughs) Isn't that incredible? When we miss those opportunities, when we don't take advantage of the opportunities, he says our, our we're, we're bound in shallows and miseries. When we're not seeing the things that are around us and, and knowing what is going on, missing the tide, we're left in shallows and miseries, lost our ventures. Don't miss the tides. Don't miss the opportunity. I think it's really all around us. Billy Graham said these words that every generation is strategic. He says we're not responsible for the past generation. We can't bear full responsibility for the next one, but we do have our generation. He says, God will hold us responsible as to how well we fulfill our responsibilities to this age and take advantage of our opportunities. What is, what is going on around us now? What kind of opportunities? Paul the Apostle said, make the most of every opportunity. Make the most of every opportunity. I, I think about this at times, and, I, and, and usually you think about it after you miss an opportunity. I was with someone uh, a week or so ago, and, 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 and something came up, and, you know, and it was the perfect opportunity, and I, it, it passed right by me. And later on, I go, that was, you know, what was that? I missed it. I missed that opportunity. Let me tell you what it was. There was a gentleman that came to our church, and he, we work for the gas company, right? So they, they just want you to, you know, get gas, right? But he said, he said these words to me. He said, you know, I think I've been in every religion and every church around the whole state. And, you know, to me that was like, you know, he started naming off a bunch of them. But that, you know, when I look back on that, that was like an opportunity. Well, do, do you know anything about Jesus? You go to a lot of different churches, but do you know anything? Have you learned anything? Have you felt like it was a missed opportunity for me. Jesus said in John 4, let's turn there. I want you to see these words. You and I, hope none of you work for the gas company. You you and I need to open our eyes. Jesus in John chapter 4, verse 34, you know these verses, but let's read them again so you know where they are. He says, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four uh, four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, Open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. 
Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. He says, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. People around us, harassed, helpless, lost, sheep without shepherd. Open our eyes, look around. I believe you and I can, you know, can be used in this world, each one of us, not just Billy Graham. In fact, over the course of history, more people have come to know Jesus Christ by people sharing with their family and their friends than, you know, mega evangelists, I would reckon to, reckon to say. Besides the fact that none of those people would go to any of those meetings unless the family and friends brought them or told them about it. Maybe you're not going to lead someone to Christ in, in a sinner's prayer or anything like that, but you might be the one to just get them thinking or give them a Bible or talk to them about the truth of Jesus Christ. Invite them to, to church where you know that they'll hear about Jesus Christ. I hope you know that here, right? They're, they're going to hear about Jesus for a long time. As long as we're here, they're going to hear about Jesus, right? Paul said in Galatians, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest, what? If we do not give up. Don't give up. Don't give up on your families and your friends. Don't give up. Keep praying for them. That's what he said in verse 38, didn't he? Look at verse 38 again. He says, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. What does he ask his disciples to do? What does he ask you and I to do? Pray. The first thing he says is pray. Pray, pray. That's the first thing. Pray that God would send out workers. It's his harvest field, but like I said, he wanted to share that work with you and with me. I don't understand that part that well, but that's the way he's decided to do it. But he says to pray. Are we praying for those people around us? I have found when, when I take the time to pray for opportunities and I pray for those people around me, the opportunities open up. If I don't ever pray, I don't ever see it. I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not tuned in. I don't, my eyes are not open. First thing he, do, he does is to pray. And I remember uh, hearing uh, uh, somebody say this, you know, talk to God before you talk to man about God. Talk to God about men before you talk to men about God. Not just men. You know what I mean, right? Don't give me a hard time. Don't send me emails and letters. I learned that somewhere. The Lord would send out workers. God is still sending out workers today into his field. And you know what? He's sending each, each and every one of us out. It's not just those missionaries who go to. And you can think of all the places that, that we pray for and we support missionaries in all these different places. India, Israel, Mexico, Thailand, all these different places. People are called to go, but, but we're all called to go. It might be down to you know, electric boat. It might be called, you know, to some office building in Providence. 
Somebody said this, what we pray for begins to, to develop a burden in our hearts and our eyes are more open to the opportunities and the harvest around us when we pray. Someone else said, when we pray as he commanded, we will see what he saw. We will feel what he felt and do what he did. And God will multiply our lives as we share in the great harvest that's already ripe. Think about the call of Isaiah. Um, Isaiah, you know, he, he had a... He had a uh, time where he saw the Lord, it says in Isaiah chapter 6, the, the calling of Isaiah. He says, I saw the Lord. He was high and lifted up and his, his train filled the temple. He had this vision. He saw God, whether it was a vision or he saw him, we don't know for sure. But he says, you know, who am I? You know, I, I, what can I do? He says that you know, I, he says, I am ruined. He says, woe is me. I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. But my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. He knew, you know, who am I to do anything? But it says, one of the, the seraphs flew to me, he says, with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongues from the, with tongs from the altar, and with it, he touched my mouth and he said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. He realized he didn't have anything, but when the Lord touched him, when the Lord did something in his life, the Lord said, who's willing to go? And he said, here am I, send me. He's touched each and every one of us that have responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and he's saying, who will go? Will you go? And, and the, the cry of Isaiah's heart is something that you and I can also cry out. Here am I, send me, no matter where that is. We go on missions trips and it's a real exciting thing. We get pumped up. We go on these trips for one week or two weeks. We get so excited about it. We're looking for every opportunity. If someone looks at us, we're thinking that could be someone we're going to, you know, get to minister to or share with or whatever. If they walk, you know, if they get on the same bus, I remember we did the mission trip to, to, to New York City years ago. If they got onto the, to the same um, subway with us, we thought, there's someone, let's go get them, you know? <laughs> And we're open to be useful on these mission trips, but, but what about every single day? You know, not just on a missions trip. Can, can, can it be that, that every day would be a missions trip wherever we are? I think it can. I think missions trips are exciting. Here am I, send me. Lord, let's pray together. Lord, open our eyes. Open our eyes to see the harvest around us, to care for people like you did. Father, uh, that we might not miss those opportunities. We would be able to see them and, and jump in, even, even though we, who are we? We're not Billy Grahams. But we have a story to tell, and the story of how, how Jesus has, has worked in my life, and he's and he's saved me from my sin, and he's offered me eternal life, and then I can share that with people. Lord, give us boldness. I, I want more boldness. Give us boldness to see those opportunities and, and, and to do something about it.
Maybe even just to say that you'll pray for someone. I'll pray for you. I see you're going through a hard time. I will pray for you. And And then, Lord, that we might follow through and do it. But Lord, we pray this morning, according to your word this morning, that you would send out workers into your harvest field. But dare we also pray, Lord, here am I, send me. Lord, I want to close this morning again, giving an opportunity for people to surrender their hearts and lives to the Savior Jesus. Today is the day of salvation. We've talked about those opportunities, and today is an opportunity for you, if you have not surrendered your life to Jesus, to to do it right here, right now, today. That you would trust in him, believe in him, that he came to this earth, that he gave his life upon a cross, that he was buried, that he rose from the dead, that we, that you might have eternal life and all you need to do is trust him believe in him do that today father thank you again for this place that we gather together as family send us out lord we pray in jesus name amen and let's stand and sing that song send us out